done in our families well, oh God. Will you have your way tonight? Bless your people, Lord. Bless your homes. Bless your relationships. Bless your children, Lord. And bless them, Lord God, financially. We praise you and honor you tonight. Will you hear us and give respect unto our prayers that you will respond expediously, Lord God. Expeditiously, oh God. Will you respond and do what only you can do. We love you and we thank you and we honor you. And all of these things we're asking in the wonderful, majestic and precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. That somebody will clap their hands and just say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Entreat his presence. When you sense God's presence, just entreat him. It's okay. I will allow the Holy Ghost to have his way in our service. And any time you feel his presence, just give him some time and say, God, I sent you. Your presence will you do what you want. For we honor you in this place tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. If you need to sit. If you can, you can. If you still need to stand, go ahead. But let God have his way in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So good to see everyone in the house of the Lord tonight. As I mentioned earlier, I just feel like this lesson tonight is significant and it's one that can change the course of our life and our destiny. This is a destiny-changing Bible study. Amen. And so I want you to hear what the Spirit is saying. A couple of things I want to mention real quick before I get into the Word of God. Don't forget, right after church this Sunday, we will have in the Discipleship Project, and we've been discussing the masquerade of sin. The masquerade of sin. And uh, that's been our... Uh, past two lessons. Today is the third lesson of that series, and I'll wrap that up when I come back from Indianapolis, um, the fourth lesson, and then that's when we'll go into uh, our Bible study with you being the lead on the Bible study. Um, so we're talking about today, this specific class, we will talk about the folly of sin. The folly of sin. The folly of sin. Let me start out by saying this. Try to stay relevant as I can. And I think the most relevant thing right now is that O.J. Simpson received parole today. Everybody is talking about O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson is what we call a lightning rod person. Um, people are going to have a, an opinion of him one way or another. And so I, I thought it was pretty interesting. I sat back today and I listened on um, the, the different radio, the talk radio. I listened to them have their opinion on, on OJ today. And so everyone had an opinion on whether he should have stayed in and not stay in. But here is what I'm going to tell you. I've been saying this for a little bit. It's hard for anybody to be judge of anything because we all have biases. I only got two or three. Only the Holy Spirit can truly judge anything. That's just a fact. 
Only the Holy Spirit can truly judge anything because the Holy Spirit knows everything. And so when we try to judge something without knowing everything, we find ourselves being biased in one way, shape, or form. And so our heart and what we have experienced and what we have learned and the things that we came in contact with, our heart will determine how we look at something. And so I listen to everybody and I'm just smiling Listen to everybody coming up with what they thought. And all I'm saying to myself is that's because that's what's in your heart. Has nothing to do with whether it's right or wrong. That's what's in your heart. And so we're going to deal with these things about what's in our heart today. We're really going to dig into this a little bit. So I want you, I'm going to try to take my time and I'm going to have you um, speak out if you would like to in participation. So. We're going to take our text today from Esther chapter 7, verse 10. Esther chapter 7, verse number 10. And so, one scripture. It says in Esther 7 and 10, So they hanged Haman on the gallow that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, then was the king's wrath pacified. Nobody wants to live a life that result in destruction. Yet so many of us do. So often we set out to live a fulfilling life and things seem to be going well and in one turn, we can find ourselves heading for destruction. What can we do to keep from going down the wrong path? What can we do to keep living a life, to keep from living a life of destruction? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Am I heading down destruction? And if I am, what must I do so I don't head down that path? We read the text of Haman being hanged from a gallow that he prepared, his own gallow. Let me talk to you a little bit tonight. Haman is a perfect example of someone who thought his life was evolving as he had planned and never saw the destruction that was coming. The book of Esther introduces us to this man, Haman. He had been promoted as a high official under the king. His name was Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. The king had commanded that all of the servants bow and show reverence to Haman because of his position. However, Mordecai bowed not. He says, I'm not bowing in reverence to Haman. Now, anybody want to take a stab at why he says I'm not bowing? Because, you know, I don't want anybody to be rebellious and thinking that's okay. So, why do you think he didn't bow? Amen. And so, he didn't bow because of his relationship and his reverence to his God. 
So the, the first thing you got to take from that is that the only time we should never go with the laws of the land, it, it's when it goes against the word of God. Now, if the laws of the land goes against the word of God, it is incumbent upon us to make sure we obey the word of God over the laws of the land. Remember the lady Kim down in, 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 what is that? Kentucky, was she? Wherever she was, that she said she was not issuing this certificate of marriage to same sex. She felt like, and is not feel, she know that goes against the word of God, and so she decided, I'm not issuing it. So anytime you come into contact with something that goes against the word of God, it's, it's right for you to say, I just can't do that. That goes against my relationship and, and, and my reverence to my God. I just can't do that. Other than that, if it's something that society has made a law and it's not going against God, you're supposed to obey the laws of the land. And so Mordecai refuses. When Haman heard of Mordecai's refusal, he became infuriated. The scripture revealed that Haman became consumed with selfishness, pride, and hatred towards Mordecai and plotted to have him killed. All because everybody bowed and reverenced him, but somehow, or we know that Haman didn't bow and reverence him, so he had a problem with one person didn't bow. So, catch a hold of that. Catch a hold of that. Of all the people, just one person didn't bow, you focused on the one person. Where else did we read in scripture early on where we were focused on the one thing? Adam and Eve. Can we get this in our spirit that we need to stop focusing on the one thing that's not good and focus on all the other things that's good? This is how we get caught in gossip. Gossip always come up this way. You look at one thing. That's not working or one thing that's wrong. It could be wrong. It's fine. But why are you focused on that one thing? Why aren't you focusing on all the other things that is great? So when you start to focus on one thing that's wrong and start to make it an issue, you're doing the work of Satan. He started that. He started that. So, Brother D, if you got all great qualities and then you got one bad quality and I start to focus on that one quality, I'm wrong. I'm doing the work of Satan. I need to focus on all the good qualities you have because you got plenty of those. Why would I focus on the one wrong thing? So we don't focus on the one wrong thing. And so Haman focused on that and says, that joker, I'm going to kill him. And so he plotted to kill him. But that wasn't even enough. Because one man, Mordecai, would not bow to Haman it evolves and even came into a plot to murder. He said, not only will I kill Haman, but I'm going to kill all the Jews. Because Haman, was, not only will I kill Mordecai, but I'm going to kill all the Jews. So Mordecai was a Jew. And so he became real angry like, okay, not only am I going to kill Mordecai, but I'm going to kill all the Jews just for just because he wouldn't listen and he wouldn't bow down and worship me, reverence me. Hmm. Listen, we're going to be persecuted for the things we stand up for in God. Now, listen to this. Make sure you always check to see if your persecution is because you're 
standing up for the word of God or it's because you did something. Because don't get those misconstrued and think, God, 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 they're persecuting me. You have to stop and look at your situation and say, the thing that I'm holding to, the thing that I'm being steadfast and I'm trusting and I'm not being moved, the thing that I'm saying I am not changing, is it you or is it for God? Because you never want to get into a situation like that where you're standing on, I'm not changing and this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. And it's not for God. And then you go around saying, yeah, I'm being persecuted. No, that's not persecution. You took a stance and you're reaping from that stance you took. It's not persecution. Now, on the other hand, Kim took persecution. Mordecai got persecuted because they they were holding to their belief to the word of God. So it's only when you're holding on and walking and trusting in the word of God can you say, I am going to do this and it doesn't matter what I got to deal with. I will deal with it because this is the word of God. So please don't misconstrued. A situation you're going through with thinking that, oh, I'm suffering because of the word of God. No, go back and look while you're suffering. Because you can spend many years, I've seen a lot of people spend many years thinking that they're just going through persecution because of their love for God. Because they stood for God. And come to find out, they look at the situation and realize that wasn't for God. And you wasted time. Haman became obsessed with exterminating the Jews. He lost control as sin spiraled out of control in his life. And that evil he intended for Mordecai actually came upon his own life. Can I tell you this? The old time people always said, if you're digging a ditch for somebody to fall into it, you better dig two. If you're plotting on somebody because you got a problem with them and you just want to see them fail, guess what? It's going to happen to you. It's just, it's just the way it works. It's just been, it's been biblical. We're going to talk about tonight four men that their life ended in a hanging situation. Four men that their life ended in a hanging situation. The Bible provides many examples to help us understand the consequences of unchecked sin. One such example is found in the life of Ahithophel. We'll talk about Ahithophel. This is a great character in the Bible. He's real, but we just say character because, you know, it's been a long time. So Ahithophel, you, you can read about him in 2 Samuel 17, 23. But according to the word of God, Ahithophel was not an enemy who hated King David. We'll, we'll see what that King David situation was all about eventually. Rather, David described Ahithophel as an equal, a familiar friend. He referred to Ahithophel as his guide, his acquaintance. They had even worshipped together in the sanctuary. Yet, this same friend, Ahithophel, betrayed David. In the past, Ahithophel had counseled both David and Absalom, who is David's son. Absalom is David's son. He was considered, Ahithophel, was considered a wise and trusted advisor to David. But then we come to a time where Absalom, David's son, rebelled and conspired to overtake David's kingdom. 
Ahithophel sided with Absalom. And he advised Absalom to allow him to choose 12,000 men to pursue David to kill David. Question. How could a trusted advisor, a friend, reach the place where he was willing to betray, conspire to murder a friend? You know, sometimes we like to think that we wouldn't do certain things. This, 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 I just can't see myself doing it. I would never do something like that. But boy, I got to tell you, if the circumstances sometimes are all working against you, you can find yourself doing things that you didn't expect that you would do. And so I've learned, got a little bit of wisdom as I grow up a little bit, that I don't look at anybody's situation and try to say, I don't understand how they could have done that. We, we do that a lot. I don't understand how they could have done that. What do you mean? You're not in their shoes. You didn't go through what they went through. You didn't experience what they experienced, so you can't say that. Just pray for them and love them and see how you can help them to get back on the right track. To understand the root of Ahithophel's betrayal to David, his friend, one must understand that Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. He no doubt resented what David had done to his granddaughter. And although the scripture do not explicitly state this, it appears that feeling of hurt and offense entered his heart. So for those of you that don't know what he did to his, to, uh, uh, what David did to, uh, Hittifel's, uh, granddaughter Bathsheba, Bathsheba was happily married. Well, I don't know if she was happily married because her husband wasn't with her all the time. He was always fighting in the war, which was the war defending the country and he was David's right hand man. And so he was out fighting the war a lot and trying to defend the country. And uh, Bathsheba was by herself. David saw her by herself, sent his servant to go get her. And he got her and came and he, he lied with her and she got pregnant. When he realized she was pregnant and she was married and the husband had not had come home, it couldn't have been the husband that got her pregnant. So David realized, I'm in trouble. She's pregnant. We know it can't be the husband because he hadn't been home in a long time. If this baby comes to fruition and is born, we're in trouble. So David tried to get the husband to come off the war field and come sleep with her. Go get with your wife. Got him drunk. Go with your wife. He wouldn't go. He was faithful and loyal to the soldiers, so he wouldn't go. So because he wouldn't go, David knew it was going to come out. We talking about the man after God's own heart. David knew that he was. it was going to come out that she had a child and it wasn't her husband's and they eventually would have traced it to David. So what David did was he set uh, Bathsheba's husband up and told his hit man, let him go to the front of the battle. When the battle gets real hot, pull out the man and let him stay out there by himself and let him die. Dude died. Just like David planned it, he died. So now Bathsheba got pregnant. She belly getting big. Nobody's thinking about it because they just felt felt like, well, maybe that's her. That's her husband's child. But it turned out. That the baby died. So I'm sure he was like, woo, woo, baby died. He didn't, he didn't like it though because he fasted and prayed that the baby wouldn't die because he thought he was going to be in the clear since the husband was dead. So you know how I go, when the husband died, you can take his wife. And so that's what David did. And so Bathsheba became David's wife and they now have a relationship. So Ahithophel 
was they was Bathsheba's grandfather. So just think, he knows all of this. And he's saying, you messed up my granddaughter's life. She was married to a good man, good soldier, your man, and you got him messed up. So not only did you got him murdered, but you also took her. So I got a problem with you. That issue that Ahithophel had with David was in his heart, and it never went anywhere. So that's what happened. Ahithophel was David's good friend. They chilled together. But that came up, and Ahithophel now had a problem with David. He didn't say it, because David was the king, but he had a problem with David. He gave, listen to this, he gave those hurt feelings space in his life. So consequently, they became a root of bitterness. When you give your hurt and all the negativity you experience, when you give it space in your life, it will become a root of bitterness. And what we need to realize is the things that hurt us and the things that what that happens to us and the things that are evil that came our way, all of the things that we experience, it might even be something we have done. If we give it space, and it begins to work in our life and the thought begins to overtake us and begin to work in us. It will become a root of bitterness. And everybody should know in here, it's not easy to pull a root up. Roots go all over the place and grab a hold of the soil that it's in. And it's hard to get a root out of the soil that it's in. When bitterness springs up and is left unattended... Sin spirals out of control. Fortunately for David, Absalom, his son, also asked advice from another advisor. His name was Hushai. After hearing Hushai, Absalom, and all of the other counselors decided that Hushai's advice was more sensible than the one of Ahithophel. So here's what's going on. Ahithophel endorsed David's son, Absalom, to take over David's kingdom because he's hurt. David took my granddaughter's life and messed it up. And so he's hurt. So now he's siding with David's sons to David's son to say, let's overthrow David's kingdom. You will become king. And so be it. And so he gave him counsel on how to overthrow David. But Hushai was also another guy for David, gave Absalom, David's son, counsel as well. But Hushai was deceptive. Hushai was still loyal to David. And so it turned out that Absalom went with Hushai's wisdom as opposed to Ahithophel. When Ahithophel found out that Absalom was going to go with Hushai's counsel and not his, he went and hung himself. That's the first hanging. So what I'm trying to tell you, if you didn't catch it, his granddaughter, he felt was wronged, taken advantage of. Was he right? Sure he was. But he allowed that hurt to become personal to him. And he felt like that was so wrong and he held on to it the whole time. And that's 
that, that, that hurt that he felt caused him to hang himself. What they say, bitterness only destroy the containers being held in. It don't destroy anybody else. So if this bitterness in a container, the container is getting destroyed. Not anything else that's out of the container. So if you're the container with bitterness, you're the only one that's getting destroyed. Nobody else is. And so Ahithophel went and hung himself because what he thought was wrong, he felt like never got dealt with right, and that just drove him crazy. He went and hung himself, all because he held on to some bitterness. He gave the, he gave the hurt space to work in his life, and it became bitterness. What are some things Ahithophel could have done to uproot the seed of bitterness? It's something else before it becomes bitterness. Always remember this. We need to try to make sure what we're dealing with in our heart never get the bitterness. Deal with it before it becomes bitterness because it's hard to root up bitterness. We do not want to overlook the role of Absalom in this story. As mentioned before, Absalom was David's own son. What would bring a son to the place where he would conspire to have his father, his father murder and then try to usurp his throne? Eventually David lost Absalom by his death at the hand of Joab and his servants. But David had really lost Absalom even before his death. When we examine the life of Absalom, we not only see a personable and handsome young man who loved the pomp of royal life. He was David's son and he enjoyed that life. We also see early signs of his rebellion. They saw early signs of his rebellion. Now check it out. We're going somewhere. His rebellion against authority. When you have rebellion against authority, you're heading for destruction. Even when authority is wrong, you're not right to go against authority. Doesn't matter what you think. Let God deal with his authority figures. It's not your job to deal with authority figures when you feel like, oh, they're wrong. So as we look at Absalom, David's son, he didn't like something. Look at how it happened. And we see a fractured relationship with Absalom and his father David. Absalom had issues with David because David never addressed something. Here we go again. Can I tell you this? My life has been like that. My life has been... When God gives you favor, I got to always tell how God just gives me favor, right? And when God gives you favor, people want you to do stuff with the favor God gave you. That's my life. So I'll just give you a little bit in it. So people will see the favor God has given me and they want me. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And they always want me to do something. But they don't have the favor like I got the favor. So don't worry about what I should or shouldn't do. And so people get upset sometimes with me, Luke, because I wouldn't do something. I'm telling you, a lot of my uh, enemies, if you will, sometimes they're my, they become my enemy because they're saying you should have done this. 
You should have done that. And I'm not talking about bad things. I'm just talking about they're just looking at me like if you have that kind of influence and you're getting that kind of favor, why aren't you doing this? And the question usually is, listen, God gave me the favor and it's a reason why he gave me and not you. Because if you had it, you would do crazy things with it. That's always my answer. If you had the favor God had given me, you would do some outlandish things. And so God gives favor to people he can trust. Not people that's going to take advantage and make themselves be seen like, look at me. He don't give favors to people like that. They might do their own thing to get their own favor. But people that get favor from God is because God is trusting them with his favor. And so I get people a lot of times, man, they, they can't come to my face and say it because it makes no sense. Because how are you going to be mad at somebody that has favor and they won't do what you want them to do? So they never come to me about it, but they will have this issue behind my back. But all it comes down to is my favor. But that's another story for another day. But Absalom had issue with his dad and never addressed it. When Absalom had learned of the rape of his sister Tamar by his half-brother Amnon, he was under, understandably irate. So his half-brother raped his sister. And when he found out about that, he was hot. Is he rightfully supposed to be hot? Yes. Again, you see how that roll? It's things that we're allowed to be upset about and be heard about. But watch how we deal with that hurt and that upsetness. And so Amnon, uh, Absalom was upset. According to the law of that time, Amnon should have married Tamar when he raped her. When he raped her. That's the law. You rape somebody, you marry them. <laughs> that's what that's what the Lord said, and he was supposed to do that, but he didn't do it. So he didn't marry Tamar. Huh. But instead of handling the situation by confronting Amnon, Absalom was supposed to go to his brother and confront him and say, like, dude, yo, man, you, you, why you did this to your sister and, and you're supposed to marry her? Instead of him going to him and handling it and saying, you need to marry her, he waited two years. Gave it space. Gave it space. So after he found out about it, he didn't confront him. He waited two years. And over the course of those two years, he allowed anger, vengeance to fester in his heart. Finally, Absalom murdered his half-brother. So his half-brother raped his sister. Instead of him going and talking to his half-brother about it and bring his father into it, say, Dad, you're the king. Here's what happened. This is what went down. He just was mad. Held it in for two years and committed murder. When you committed murder back then, you were supposed to be murdered too. So you were supposed to get the death penalty. So instead of him doing it the right way, he put himself in a place where now, death penalty. So instead of insisting Amnon abide by the laws and marry Tamar, Absalom thought justice and had himself and, 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 and murdered his brother. Consequently, Absalom was exiled and he had to leave. Once, once everything came out, he had to leave the city and go to a, a, another city called um, Gerar. Or Gerard. And although he was allowed to return to Israel, 
we never read of his remorse repentance. So Absalom never repented for his wrong. We only see anger and self-righteousness. The things that destroy us, they normally destroy us, Brother D, because it's something that we are right about. But we allow it to fester in our heart and we become self-righteous about it. I never forgot. And you've heard me talk about this before. I never forgot when I went to one of um, the inmates sentencing from down in Mercer County. And I never forgot when they sentenced the brother, they said to him, we're not sentencing the person that you have become. We're sentencing the person who have done all those heinous things. That's what they said. We're not sentencing you for who you are today. Because clearly who you are today is, is somebody different from who did all those crimes. But we still have to punish the crime. And so I say that just to say we, we, we're not the ones responsible to delve out punishment and handle justice. And in the kingdom of God, when people do or don't do or whatever the situation, we're not the ones responsible to say how it needs to go. To delve out justice. You did this, so this should happen to you. And people that start going down that route, they go down that route because they feel like you was wrong, and so you need to experience punishment. Who are we? Who are we to tell what kind of punishment will be uh, enough for someone that has done wrong in the kingdom of God? I thought God was the king of his kingdom. Absalom really believed he was without guilt. He killed his brother and felt like it was justified. Huh. I think we're still doing that today. It might not be physical. But I, I know that we're killing each other and justifying it because somehow we say you did wrong. Who are we? He once again revealed his disregard for God's law. He wanted a death penalty for Amnon, his brother, though the law did not require it. So the law required Amnon to go marry his sister, but the law requires if you committed murder, you were supposed to be murdered. You were supposed to be, you were supposed to get the death penalty. So his self-righteousness make him commit a crime that warranted him now to be put to death. Self-righteousness. Because in his mind, I'm going to straighten that out. The unrepented sin of hatred, dislike, vengeance, and pride took root and spiraled out of control. Listen, they spiraled out of control so much that they birthed what is called rebellion. Hatred, dislike, vengeance, and pride turn into rebellion. People that are prideful, when you tell them they're prideful, they get haughty and rebellious. And when you get rebellious, that the Bible says rebellion is as the sin of what? Okay. Just, just. That's what happened. So when we, when, when, when people bring to our attention our prideful ways through the word of God or whatever the situation is and we have a problem with it, 
What happens is you're going to eventually go into rebellion and now you're going to rebel against everything everybody say. And if they're not saying what you like, you're going to rebel against it. So dislike, when you have dislike for someone or something, when you hate something or someone, when you have, when you got to get vengeance out on someone or you're just prideful and you don't check it and deal with it, it's going to turn into rebellion. And once you're in rebellion, boy, that's a hard one to come back from. Absalom plotted for four years, winning over the hearts of the people because he's trying to take his father's kingdom, running David down with hypocrisy, lies, and deceit. His deep root of resentment must have been in his heart piling up because guess what, what he's saying? His father never did anything about his brother raping his sister. And so he had resentment for his dad. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he he feel like his dad was a weak king because his, his dad, even though his dad committed that horrible sin of murder and adultery, his dad still had the heart of God. That's what the Bible says. David is a man after my, my own heart of the God's heart. And so his dad, when he when his dad de- dealt with the kingdom of um, Israel and how he was supposed to handle it, he handled it according to the way God will do things. But Absalom had a problem because Absalom wanted his dad to be tougher and, and bring down judgment. And that's not the way David did things. In the end, we catch up with Absalom running away from David's army on his mule. His hair, Absalom's hair, became caught in a tree and he was left hanging. And so while he was hanging in the tree with his hair caught up, Joab, David's main warrior, came and just plowed his sword into him. That was the end of Absalom. So now we got three people. We got Haman, who was mad because somebody wouldn't bow. That's all pride, because who do you think you are? He hung himself. He got hung because he, he made a gallow, and he got hung on his own gallow. Then we have Ahithophel. Him and David was cool, but because he was offended by what David did to his granddaughter, he found himself just a mess, so he went and hung himself. Then we have David's son. He didn't literally go and hung himself, but guess what? His hair got caught up in the trees and he was hanging, and so boom, he died. Here's the fourth person. Another biblical example of of the folly of sin is recorded In the account of the fall of Judas. Not a lot is known about Judas beyond his discipleship. Betrayal and death. But we know Jesus handpicked Judas. He was one of the twelve. He learned from Jesus and left all to follow him. He witnessed the miracles alongside Peter, James, and John. He was offered the same opportunities and experiences as the 11 disciples, and he was trusted with the job of treasurer in with the disciples. However, John chapter 12 verse 6 gives us a brief glimpse of Judas thievery, a lack of character by stating he had money, he held the money box. And he used to take a little bit here and there. So here is the story now with Judas. He loved money. And he had a little bit of greed going on. So he loved money and he was greedy. Those two things is what worked against Judas. Hmm. It led to Judas betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. 
he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 measly pieces of silver. Sin took Judas further than he ever intended to go. This man who walked with Jesus, whom Jesus called friend, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Soon after his betrayal, we read that Judas was filled with great remorse. Unlike Absalom, who refused to see his wrongdoing, Judas repented and tried to return the silver. But he was too late. That, that, that stuff that was in him, all the wrong that was in him, his, he was just overwhelmed with all of it. And so even though he felt remorse and, and he repented, guess what? When he went to return the silver, they said, we don't want that. You already did what you did. We don't need that money. We gave it to you for what you did. You turned over the Messiah to us, and that's all we wanted. That's your money. It's blood money, but it's yours. And so that's what they said. And when he realized he could not reverse what he did, he went and hung himself. So sometimes what happens is we commit sin, we commit folly, and we can't reverse it after we realize it's wrong. And guess what? We end up just living a life of destruction. So let me let me bring that in modern terms to you. And so you're living for God and you did something really bad, something really wrong, and you repented of your sins and you're trying to walk right and talk right, but the devil is not going to leave you alone. So every day he come and remind you, you hypocrite, you know you still want to do wrong, you know you don't want to live for God, and he does it so much that you get overwhelmed with that thought, with that picture, that vision of that thing you did wrong till you just decide, I can't can't live for God like this and just start living in sin. And you just stay in sin. And your justification of why you're staying in sin, no matter how hard I try to live for God, that thing just keep popping up in my mind. No matter how much I try to give my life to God, I keep thinking about that wrong. And the devil keep on just talking to me in my mind. And I can't think straight. And I can't pray right. And I can't live right because that thing is in my mind. So you know what? I'm just done with this church thing. That's what Judas did. He tried to get it right, but it was so much that he hung himself when he realized what he had really done. What do you believe was at the root of Judas's betrayal of Jesus Christ? It is ludicrous to believe Haman started out with the intent to be hanged. Alongside his ten sons, his ten sons end up being hung with him under under gallow that he built for someone else. Ahithophel and Judas never intended to fall so low as to betray their friends and ultimately take their own lives. Absalom surely never expected to get his hair caught in a tree and suffer a hum- humiliating death at the hands of Joab. These four men whose death were associated with hanging had heart issues. Their sins remained unchecked. If they had taken care of their heart issues, if they had checked their sins, if they had just eliminated that seed and removed that root, their end of life stories may have been a whole lot different. The recommended best management practice to control destructive or sinful thought or thoughts 
is constantly monitoring and pulling out of those thoughts and actions when they enter in your heart when they're young. So when a thought come into your mind, when, 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 when evil thoughts begin to come in your heart and your mind, they're, they're not powerful at that time. They're young. When they enter in at that time, that's when you need to spend time of root, rooting that thing out. Make sure it come out of your heart. Make sure it come out of your mind. Because if you give it space, it's going to start to grow. You give it space, it's going to take root. You give it space, it's going to begin to dominate you. Before they go to seed and before the roots begin to send out their poison, you need to root it out. Proverbs 4.23 reminds us to keep on guard our heart with all diligence. It is not the responsibility, listen to this carefully. It is not the responsibility of our family, our friends, our neighbors, or even our pastor to check our heart. See, that's where it gets complicated because you checking your heart comes from you. And sometimes you're coming to church thinking that the pastor need to check your heart or the word of God is going to do something to you. So you come to church thinking that the word of God is supposed to do it. But no, getting that stuff out of your life, you have to do it. And that's where the misconception comes in is people don't feel like their life is changing, it's transforming, and God is doing something when it's a responsibility that you have to say, I got to get this out of my life. And since you don't get it out, you come to church and the preaching just goes on top of it and nothing changes and the church and the preacher and people becomes your enemy because nothing changed. That church ain't doing nothing. That pastor ain't really saying nothing. All because you got issues in your heart and you not dealing with them because somehow you just want them to disappear when you talk to God. The responsibility falls on each of us individually. Only we can know when we have been hurt. When you're hurt, only you really know. People don't always know when you're hurt. I don't know about you, but I know if I get hurt, that doesn't mean... Everybody's going to know. I told you about the time that I got hurt and nobody knew. And Jesus began to talk to me, says, you didn't have on the shield of faith. And that's why the dark came in and got you. It's, 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 it's faith, which is called the shield. The shield of faith. It's what cover your breastplate. So when the attack comes, the faith that you have on that shield, it blocks the attack. That fiery dart, it quenches it and stops it from you getting hurt. When we get hurt, can I tell y'all a secret? Now that I have cable radio, I was listening to Joel Osteen. Yeah, y'all quiet and y'all smiling. I've never listened to Joel Osteen in my life. It wasn't until I started listening to him on my radio in my car. And let me tell you something. Everybody serve a purpose. Joel can't get you saved. But Joel can give you some really great points. Oh my goodness. Joel cannot preach you into heaven. He can't get you to get saved because he doesn't know how to get saved. But boy, oh boy, he can take some scripture and help you understand some practical ways of handling scripture. 
So he made this comment today. I was driving and I heard this last thing I heard before I got out of the car. So Joel said there was this family member. And he was married. And the woman he was married to, his brother gets on her nerves. And so his brother would just get on her nerves and she would just get frustrated and frustrated and frustrated. And brother always. So one day his wife said, that's your brother. Can't you talk to him and say something to him? He's getting on my nerves. The husband said, honey, I can't talk to him. There's nothing I can do about it. There's something you can do about it, but I can't do anything about it. Watch it. And so after that conversation, the woman must have thought her husband was me. Now, everywhere the brother was and the wife saw, she tried to go someplace else. And she would just try to always go someplace where her brother-in-law was never there. So finally, it came to her. He's controlling my life. I don't like him and he's getting on my nerves, but he's controlling my life. The way I think, the places I go, how I act, when he, he's controlling my life. And that hit her hard. And finally she said, I can't let this man control my life. He's dictating, you know, how I feel, where I go, what I say. And so she finally decided, I'm going to be me and do what I got to do. And finally the situation got worked out because she decided, I'm not going to let him control my life anymore. Now, just think about that husband first. Some wives would have just hated him from that point. You're not backing me up. But the husband knew what he was doing because he knew there was nothing he can do. He can go tell his brother, my wife is uncomfortable with you and you're always doing stuff. But that's his brother's nature. His brother was never going to change. So why was he going to waste his time and talk to his brother? So I'm sure that wife and some of our wives would have said, you're not on my side. But he was smart. He was godly. And he says, honey, there's really nothing I can do about it. Nice and calm. I love you and I love him. Nothing I can do about it. You're my wife. He's my brother. Nothing I can do about it. And so today's people, I can't believe you're my husband. Why would you say that? I'm first. But he knew what he was doing. Even if he went and attacked his brother, it didn't mean his brother behavior was going to change. So it was taking his wife to look at that and realize, you know what? If I don't deal with it the right way, it's going to overtake me. And she finally did with it. She finally dealt with it. It is not the responsibility of anybody to root out stuff in our life. It is up to us. Only we can get the stuff out of our life. And so when hurt comes, you got to deal with your hurt. When anger comes, you got to deal with your anger. Hmm. Or when someone lets you down, you got to deal with that. We got to always look at what happened to us and deal with it. Oftentimes we're getting hurt. We're being wounded. Things are happening to us and we're just giving that thing space to build up. Every time we see the individual who hurt us, we avoid them. And every time we avoid them, it gets worse and worse. Psychiatrists and psychologists will tell you. Here's the easy one. Let me say this so you will get it. And I'm close to being done here. When you lose someone in your family, they die. The healthiest way to deal with it is to keep talking about them in all the positive way you remember them. Oh, y'all got quiet. 
That's the best way psychologists and psychiatrists tell you to deal with death. Don't not talk about it. Don't avoid it because you're storing it away. You're giving it space to become something else. But when you deal with it and says, man, I miss my dad. He was just a great guy. He loved to do this. He loved to do that. And the more you talk about it, the more you deal with it and you accept it. When you get hurt, when you're angry and upset, when somebody lets you down, you need to deal with it. Let me say this. This is important. This is hard to find. And thank God I'll volunteer myself first because that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. But I know it's difficult finding people to talk to that only have your best interest at hand. That is hard to find because everybody and the devil is so slick. The devil will always lead you to somebody that have the same issues you have. So when you begin to talk to them, instead of them talk to you the right way and give you the right direction, they begin to side with you and they begin to build up that thing that is in you that you don't like. Man. But I've tried my best to do that. I will not try to side with you because of how you feel. When you come to me, I'm thinking about your best interests. And I'm going to deal with whatever you're telling me godly and according to what's best for you. I don't have anything in the game. That's how I'm going to deal with everybody. And I believe I've always done that. Anybody come to me, I'm dealing with you because I love you and care about you. And I'm going to give you godly counsel. That's the way we ought to be. And when you're trying to get these things out of your heart, you need to find somebody. Talk to God before you go to anybody. And you keep talking to God, maybe he don't send you to anybody right away. But until God sends you to somebody, you keep praying and talking to him. And if, he, and, and if you don't hear anything from God that can help you, then, then say, God, I need you to direct me to somebody that I can talk to that will help me. Don't keep that stuff in you. Because sooner or later, the devil going to lead you to somebody that got your same issue. And you and them are going to begin to talk. And sooner or later, you and them are going to be tight. And now both of you just talking mess. Not helping each other. Oh, help us, Jesus. This is how four men got destroyed. We know, we, we're talking about four men in the Bible got destroyed because they held in stuff and never dealt with it. They had issues with people and never dealt with it. And they... They, they find themselves being hung. All because they just harbor these feelings and emotions. Sin has a way of trying to creep in and take root. Often sin takes over gradually and is undetected. So you think that sometimes you know what's going on? Sin is working undercoverly. As Christians, we need to check our hearts often. We must raise our shield of faith and keep our hearts pure. We cannot afford to let hurts and small sins take root and grow. Hurt is a big one because hurt will produce strongholds. What does a strongholds are? They are sinful behavior that we can justify. That's what stronghold is. It's a sinful behavior that you can justify. Well, I did this because... I know it ain't right. But but I had to. 
Because that's a stronghold. How do we check our hearts? We must first pray for God to reveal to us the root of bitterness. So how are we going to check our hearts? How are we going to know where we are? We have to pray for God to reveal to us the root of bitterness, the wrath, the selfishness, the lust, the idolatry, or any other weedy root that is trying to grow in us. So for some of us, we already have a root of bitterness that we have to get out. Every time we think about this, we get bitter and we just kind of lose it. Got to root out that bitterness. Then for some of us, we, we allow wrath to take place because something was done that was, that was done to me and I'm just, I'm just mad that they did that to me. For some of us, selfishness, you know, and lust and idolatry, but we have to deal with them as soon as they get into our heart. Check your thoughts. Ask yourself, am I replaying the same record over and over? Am I rehearsing the scenario? Bitterness flourishes in justification. Bitterness flourishes in justification. When you justify your behavior, you foster more, you foster more bitterness and your bitterness get worse because you can justify it. Check your speech. Ask, is my mouth out of control? Am I critical? Am I slanderous? Am I rude? Or am I negative? Check your speech. Check your association. I always say I thank God for the people that I associate with, the Brother Coons of my life, the Scott Armstrong, the Jimmy Tonys, uh, just some good people. And there's many more. But one thing I love about what I've experienced in the leadership in the United Pentecostal Church International, if you ever approach one of those leaders... And your way of getting in with them is by saying something negative about someone. Oh, my goodness. They ignore you like you got the flu. They just, they just smoothly just kind of wean you off. Yeah. Um, brother so-and-so, he a good man, but you know, and start saying something about him. <laughs> Love your brother. This is how they do. Love your brother. Hold on one second and go talk to somebody else. I watched it one time. I, wa- I watched Brother Coon do that to somebody. <laughs> I watched Brother Coon do that to somebody. Somebody came up talking to him and said, yeah, you know, but, you know, he did this. And Brother Coon said, love you, brother. And I was just watch him walk over to some place. That's what they taught me. That you never speak negative about people. You never try to bring people down because if you do, you will do that to them too. Right. And and they don't want to be associated with that kind of stuff. And so they taught me, don't be messing with people or hanging around people that bring people down, that talk negative about people. Don't associate with those. That's what they told taught me. And a matter of fact, there is to, to, to hold your license in UPCI every year. Of course, you go through your studies and everything. But once you get your license, there are two things that you have to sign every year. Um, to, to affirm that you keep your license. You have to sign that you will continue to preach that there's one God, baptism in Jesus' name, and infant of the Holy Ghost and the evidence of speaking in tongues. You got to teach that and preach that because that's the Bible. And so you got to sign that you are continuing to do that. You know what's the second one? Keeping the unity of the brethren. So what they say is, 
You keep the unity even if you have to be wrong. I love that. So, so what it turns out to is, even if you know somebody's doing something wrong, and you know for sure they're doing something wrong, if it's, if, if, if you have, if you're gonna have to correct them and cause a whole lot of fuss and, and, and division, you just leave it to God and pray. Oh yeah. I remember a situation like this. There was a church that it started out as a apostolic Pentecostal church. It was a part of the United Pentecostal Church, but it was not affiliated. It was not affiliated. I was talking to somebody um, this week and I was telling them the United Pentecostal Church is the organization of church fellowship. So everybody, we have guidelines that we try to live by and we're a, a organization of fellowship, right? Um, some people don't have their church affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church and some people do. And you can still be a part of the organization without being affiliated. So what happens is there are some churches within our fellowship that's not affiliated because usually the pastors are thinking, I'm not affiliating because you're not going to be able to come in and tell me what to do. Now, you think the, you, 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 do you think the bank want to take your house? Let me ask you that question. See, we, we don't even think smart. And nobody going to tell me what to preach. Do you think the bank want to take your house? They don't. When they, if they have to finally do it, they're like, man, we gotta take this house. It's probably a mess inside. We're gonna have to do some short sale or, they don't wanna do that. So if you're affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church, you think they wanna come in and tell you what to do? No! But what you're saying when you're affiliated, you're saying if something goes wrong in the church, you all have the right to come in and guide how to get it back right. So Christ Center Church, if something happened to me or we go in a bad way, the United Pentecostal Church International will come in and says, Brother Wyatt is sick or whatever is wrong with him. And so we need to get a pastor that's healthy and strong to keep pastoring this church. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring in a few different men. Some will be from this congregation. We'll bring in some outside men as well. And we'll have them come for a couple of weeks, preach to you, talk to you. And then we'll hold a vote. And you all will vote to say who you would like to be the pastor. That's what will happen if something happens to me. That's why we're affiliated. And so... This church was a United Pentecostal Church International, but not affiliated. Then eventually, um, the pastor that came and took it over needed some support financially. Now, to get support in the United Pentecostal Church, you have to be affiliated. So that's another reason why you know we got to be affiliated, because we're getting some funds from them. They send us $900 every month from headquarters. So we're affiliated. And so when that pastor came in, uh, to pastor the church, he, he needed money, so the church became affiliated. So the pastor was there for a while, but after a while the pastor says, you know what, I'm not gonna continue to do this, I'm gonna move away. So when the pastor moved away, now that church needed a pastor. According to the laws of the United Pentecostal Church, an affiliated church, the, the, the headquarters people were supposed to come in and help get a pastor for that church. 
But Brother Kuhn at the time was the leader of that. He says, Brother Wyatt, he talked to me because it was my job in the area to make sure everything was good. He says, Brother Wyatt, we're not going to bring anything in. The path that started the church, even though the church is affiliated and it's our job to do that, just let him handle it because we feel like if we step in, he's not going to be happy about it, even though it's our right to step in. We don't feel he's going to be happy about it. So what we're going to do is we'll just let him handle it and decide what pastor to come there and pastor it. Maybe he wants to do it. We're going to leave it alone. We're going to let him pastor it. And so even though we can exercise our right because the pastor that was there was getting money, he's affiliated, but it's okay. Because what they taught and what they tell us is keep the unity. And if they would have came in and says, I know you the pastor that uh, started this church, but we have control now. So step to the side. We're going to let them vote for a pastor. They could have done that. But what would have that caused? That pastor be bitter. That pastor be upset. So they didn't do it. And they let the pastor take it over. That's the kind of organization we're in. So it's important to understand sometimes that even when you're right about something, you still have to just do what's right to keep the unity, to keep everybody together. Don't let your, because you're so right, don't let that disrupt everything. When you have to disrupt everything because of you, you're out of order. You're messing up the unity of the body. So sometimes it don't have anything to do with right or wrong. It has to do with, do you care enough about this body of believers? Do you care enough about your church? Do you care enough about the organization to say, it's bigger than me? And even though I'm not happy about this, it's okay. Whatever I have to do to make sure everybody stay together, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what they did. The scripture encouraged us to look straight ahead and fix our gaze directly on our Savior Jesus, not allowing sin to creep into our vision, hearing hearts, weed out the bad and cultivate the good. The so-called small sins in our lives can bring utter destruction. If we ignore the seemingly insignificant things, the small things, they will someday grow up and become big things and then they will present to us a great problem. What was wrong with Haman wanting Mordecai to show some respect? What was wrong with Ahithophel feeling hurt over the wrong inflicted upon his family? What was wrong with Absalom feeling anger towards his brother for violating his sister? Or consider Judas. What was wrong with him wanting a little bit of money? It all came down to the heart. They had heart issues. That the, the issue that could have been solved in their heart, they made it, they gave it space. And it just kept on growing, kept on growing. And it became a big issue in their life. No matter how beautiful the temptation appears, no matter how justified you may feel in your hurt, it is only a cloak for the reality that sin always ends in pain, heartbreak, and judgment. Sin, when it is completed, it works the results of death. The when has, the, 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 the when lust had conceived, it bring it, when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin is finished, it brings forth death. The good news, and I'm finished here. I should say the best news, however, is someone else died by being hanged. But it wasn't because of his heart issue. It was because of our heart issues. 
Jesus endured the cross for us. He was hung. And he endured the cross for us so we could get our hearts right. So with everything that's said tonight, you can get your heart right if it's wrong. You can get bitterness out if there's if there's if it's in your life. You can make a change in your life because Jesus, he was hanged just so we don't have to stay in the place where we are. The folly of sin. Heavy lesson tonight. Weighed on me all week. As I'm trying to study for it and prepare for it, it weighed on me. And I'm just like, man, God, this is heavy. And this whole week, I'm trying to watch my walk and watch my talk. Because now I'm on guard. I'm guarding my heart. Because I'm looking at every little thing, all the little hurts, everything. You have to look at them to find out, don't let them overtake you. Sometimes you're justified. Sometimes you're right. But leave it alone. Get it out of your heart so it doesn't overtake you. God will bless you when you do what's right. God will bless you when you keep the unity. Any questions? The folly of sin. Anybody have any concerns? I know this is a heavy one tonight. It was heavy for me. Everybody good? All right. Let's stand.